Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Raquel Quinette with Keller Williams Realty in Goodyear, Arizona. Last year, she closed 253 transactions with a total sales volume of $27 million. Her average sales price was $106,000, of which 11% were buyers and 89% were sellers. She operates a team with seven members, one buyer agent, one offer coordinator, cash for keys coordinator, one repair coordinator, one escrow coordinator, one field manager, one bookkeeper, and one team leader. Raquel Quinette is the team leader of Raquel Quinette and the Results Group. She has been an agent for 13 years. Raquel specializes in REO, short sale, sphere of influence, buyers, and out-of-state investors. Raquel made a big move from Union City, California to Goodyear, Arizona. She had built a super successful team based on traditional real estate and was closing 100 transactions per year with an average price of 750000 Raquel sold her book of business and describes how she did it in this interview. Then she moved to Arizona where she did not know anyone. Raquel did not start selling homes right away. First, she recruited agents and helped build an established brokerage. After success in that position, she started selling homes again. She made progress quickly. In her second year selling homes in Arizona, Raquel closed 253 homes. She describes how she did that in this interview. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Raquel. Thank you so much. Raquel, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Okay, before I got into real estate, I was actually in college working at a cellular phone company place. So I was doing telecommunication sales. I learned about sales there and then kind of moved up to um, business to business sales and started selling cell phones for big corporations. You had a sales background? Yes, I did. Did you get into real estate right out of school? I did get into real estate right after high school. And it was by accident because I wanted to become a real estate investor while I was in college. So I decided to get my real estate license, not because I wanted to be an agent. Were you investing in real estate while you were in college? I did. After I got my real estate license or after you passed your test, you don't realize that every real estate broker in town calls you to work at their company. (laughs) (laughs) And so what happened was I started interviewing and I did it part-time and then eventually moved into, a year later, moved into a full-time position because I couldn't do 
it part-time plus work at the cellular phone company place. And towards the end of the year, I purchased my first home um, out of state. Was that your freshman year in college or was that by your senior year in college? That was my freshman year in college. That was your freshman year. That's awesome. Have you continued to invest in real estate? I have. When you did get into real estate, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a slow start. And the reason for that is because I felt that most of the people that I worked with at my brokerage, it was a hometown brokerage. Most of the realtors in there were parents of, and or I went to class, um, I went to school with their children. So a lot of them looked at me as a young kid saying, why are you in real estate when you should be in college? A lot of people didn't trust me yet. Family members said, you know, you're too young to be in real estate. So I felt that I had to get more educated to really do real estate and to learn a lot more and to feel confident to sell real estate. How long have you been in real estate? 13 years. A lot has changed over the 13 years. How many homes did you sell last year? 253. That's phenomenal. In the middle of that, my understanding is you had a transition. You actually moved and changed markets. You relocated from one place to another. Where did you start before you, you moved? Where were you based? I started out in California. I grew up in a small town in the Bay Area called Union City, Fremont area. So I got my license and started there. Lived in Union City. I went to school there from preschool all the way to high school. Parents owned a business out in Union City. And so I did real estate out there for eight years prior to moving to Arizona. Did the business grow out in California before you relocated? Was it doing well or was it just kind of putting along? I actually had a team. I also had a mortgage company out there. We were dominating certain neighborhoods in Union City. You couldn't go throughout the city without seeing any of our billboards. All the Union City bus had our real estate signs or real estate billboards. So you couldn't go through the city without knowing Raquel. That's great. In your best year back in California, how many transactions did you close? I think we were probably close to 100, but our, again, our price points were a lot different. We were in the 750, 100,000 price point with our average. So that made for some large volume. And you said you're also in the mortgage business. Yeah, so probably like my sixth year in the business, there was a lot of mortgage companies back then that were approaching us due to our volume saying we would like to basically do all of the loans for all of your transactions. And um, a lot of them started offering net branches. So we took an offer and I had my husband go ahead and run the mortgage side of the business while I focused on real estate. Now, you left that strong working business. Why would you relocate with such a great business running along? Everyone asks that all the time. Um, Well, first I had my first son and we were deciding if we were going to leave Union City and move to another area near there, which was San Ramon. And we looked at prices and we were looking in the $2 million range if we were going to move schools or move into that San Ramon area and have the equivalent size home that we did have. And then we also had investments in Las Vegas and Arizona. So 
before we decided to get into escrow, we looked at some of the neighborhoods in Las Vegas and said definitely Las Vegas was not going to be the place where we were going to raise the family, so we moved out to Arizona. And we didn't have anything. So we had to slowly transition out of our business, sell our mortgage company, and take one of my team members at the time, kind of transition him to being the team leader for the team. Do you still have that team? I do not have that team. We did have an exit agreement for up to three years. There are people that do those kind of arrangements, and people are curious about them. Do you mind if we we talk about that just briefly, about your exit agreement? Sure. How does that work? You brought somebody that was in the team up, and, and you have this transition period of three years. What exactly occurs there? What we start doing is all of our farming, because we did a lot of marketing back there, we start taking Raquel off, and we start going towards the results group is one thing that we did so people weren't asking for me when I was out in Arizona. So that was the first thing is that we had to start pulling my name back and just really focusing on the group. Some of our clients already knew that because we had buyer's agents, so they were used to some of the sales agents that we had. They knew that they were going to go ahead and represent them. So we kept the referral business going, and then we worked out a percentage for the next three years. And then after three years, they would take all of our database. You sold them the database with a commission, a referral fee off the top. Correct. Was there any kind of lump sum payment, or was it all a percentage of the business that came through? It was percentage of the business. So that made it easy for the person to step up. Right. Do you mind disclosing what the percentage was? It was a decreasing percentage. And I want to say that it was 60, 50, 40 is how it went. Sure. So you think it started, you got 60%, then you got 50, then you got 40, then it went to zero. And the person who had moved into position took everything and took over the team. Correct. And then we kind of finished out marketing you know, that year. While you were in the transition, did you have to continue to invest any money in the existing company? No. It was self-sufficient. Were you getting a percentage of the gross or a percentage of the profits? A percentage of the gross commission. So you moved out to Arizona to start a new experience. And how did you break into a market? Did, Did you say you did not know anyone? No, we had no family here. And I come from a very big family. My dad has 12 brothers and sisters, and my mom has seven, and most of them lived in Union City. So, like I said, I mean, you you couldn't go out there to Union City and not consider Raquel for real estate because someone knew someone that knew Raquel. And you gave that up. Yeah, and then, I mean, we were at the schools. We were at the local church there because we grew up in that church. So someone always said you had to talk to Raquel if you were going to sell real estate. Do you miss it? Have you ever thought of going back? I definitely miss family, but I love where we live. But, you know, it's always tempting when you do talk to your fellow realtors out there or your family to see what price points are, (laughs) even in this market today. Let's now move into Arizona. Move into Arizona. How did you break into the new real estate market? I didn't exactly break into real estate right away. I took on a position, a management position at Keller Williams. I did that first right when I got here. So when I got here, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a job. And I interviewed for a position, which was a recruiter for Keller Williams. It's the team leader position. So I was able to get that position, and I did that for three years. For people who are not familiar with Keller Williams, what does that mean, the team leader? You mentioned recruiter. 
Were you like a managing broker of the office? Team leader, there is a managing broker. There's also a designated broker. But a team leader is really responsible for the Keller Williams system, is responsible for growing the company, in charge of the profit, leveraging education to make sure that your existing agents, you're still in charge of retaining them as well. Not only are you in charge of growing the company, but you've got to also retain your agents. you got to meet a lot of people in that position, right? I did, and that's what I think was so exciting. So for me as a listing agent, I've always been a listing agent, always went out for listing appointments, cold call, you know, did whatever you could to get listing business as your inventory. So this was a different mind shift, but the same thing where it was instead of getting listings, you were getting agents to try to join your company. And you did that for how long? I did that for three years. Were you able to recruit new agents into the company? Yeah, so when I came here in 07, we weren't doing too well. We were actually losing money. We were losing lots of agents out the door. We would lose probably 20 agents in any given month. And then we stopped that. We were able to recruit, I think our best year, we recruited over 100 agents. And we became the largest market center in the West Valley. And we had the biggest market share. For people who are listening and might also have the management hat on, could you give us one or two quick ideas on how you bring agents in? What's the trick or a secret? I think the biggest thing is I looked at myself as a talent scout. When I was younger, I played a lot of sports. So I looked at myself like I'm, I've got to build the best team that Arizona or my marketplace has. Where are the best agents and what are they doing? So I asked title companies, I asked the agents that were presently at the company, who's the best agent out here and how do I get to them? I think the first thing is you got to ask your own agents who they would highly respect and who they would want to work with at the company. Because if you can gain, you know, if you can gain confidence from your own agents and align yourself with your own agents, I think your, your market center will grow a lot faster than trying to do everything yourself. Were you trying to find agents that were already established or newer agents? I think you find all types of agents, but what I focused on and probably what my owner will tell you, I focused on with big producers and big agents because I felt that if you focused on big agents, once they came to your company, there was a lot of talk in the marketplace as to why would they join Keller Williams. And along with that big agent came a lot more other agents from that company. Why would a big agent transfer over? What was your, in a, just a nutshell, what was your pitch? I think you got to know your value proposition. And I think all big agents, as great as their business is, they always are looking for opportunities. And if you can present them an opportunity where they can still continue to grow or take more time off, that would be a huge benefit. Or if you know their numbers, versus their broker not knowing their numbers, if you've got an edge over their broker, I think they're more open to listen to you and you can coach them a little bit better. And then at some point, you decided to get back into being an active agent. What made you decide to make that change? Well, I had my second child and I decided to leave management in March of 2010 and spend some time because I think with my first child, I didn't get a lot of time with him because we were running two companies and we would bring him to the office. So I said, well, for the second one, I'd like to spend a little bit more time. So I took time off from management and decided to get back into sales. How did you 
start becoming an agent again? What did you do? Well, I looked at what was different out in in my marketplace, and I saw that most of the inventory that was coming in our marketplace were either short sales or REOs. And so the agents that had the most inventories either capitalized on REOs or short sales. So I said, how can I get involved in that market? And so that's the direction you went. Mm -hmm. For instance, the transactions you closed last year, I think you said about 75% or about three quarters of them were REO. Mm -hmm. You came to the REO game a little late. Mm -hmm. In a minute, I'm going to want to ask you more about that, but I'm actually going to back up for a second and make sure everybody knows where you're at. Where is Goodyear, Arizona? Goodyear, Arizona is on the west side of Phoenix. It's about 30 minutes from Phoenix. So it's a suburb of Phoenix? Yes, it is. Are you working the entire Metro Phoenix area, or are you focused just on Goodyear? We're focused on Goodyear, Buckeye, Avondale, Litchfield Park, and Levine in Phoenix. What is happening in your market right now? Right now, what's happening in our market is a lot of multiple offers, not a lot of inventory. So we're seeing an increase in pricing. Our average price is about 133900 compared to last year at 99 We have a lot of entry and middle single-family residents. And the average days on the market right now would probably be about 63. Sounds like it's changed dramatically from last year. Yes, it has. Do you have a niche or a specialization in that market? I would say our our biggest niche right now is still REOs, and then we're slowly focusing on short sales. Are you seeing a transition with the banks? Are they still providing you with a good stream of REOs, or has that changed? I believe that that has changed from a year ago. I think that a lot of the banks have slowed down in releasing properties. So when you have such large volume or when you do a lot of transactions, you want to get back to that level. So what are we going to do today if we can't get inventory from our banks? we got to go find it. So that's how we are transitioning to the short sale arena. Have you seen that as a bigger trend? Are banks intentionally moving towards short sales as opposed to foreclosing and going to the REO? In our market right now, when I looked at stats last month, 57% were non-distressed sales, 26% were short sales that had closed, and then 17% were REOs. So that tells you that we've got traditional back in our market, and we've got more short sales closing than REOs. So there has been a shift, and it's coming out in the closed statistics. Yes. Will you continue to pursue the REO business? I think I would always maintain the relationships that I've made in the REO business. I think that there will always be some type of REO or default business. I've seen it even when I first started. It may not be as massive or as huge as it was in the previous years, but I think there will always be some type of REO business in every market. You said you've started to shift your focus to short sales. Mm-hmm. Have you also started to shift focus into the large segment of the market, 57% the retail or traditional sales? Yes. I think that you're starting to see people that bought their homes cash in 07, 08 as a foreclosure. They're trying to put those houses back on the market, or you're seeing a lot of investors put their homes on the market. So we're reaching out to those non-owner occupants. 
Have the values come back up to the level they were before the meltdown? No. So there's still a lot of people underwater. And so you think that the cells you are seeing are the people that have bought more recently within the last four to five years? Yeah, or that had paid cash. If somebody wants to get into the REO market today, what I think is impressive is you got in with most people consider relatively late 2010. A lot of people would say, oh, it's all locked up but you broke into the REO market. How did you do that? I started doing BPOs and I started going to conferences, started educating myself, and then meeting great people. I think the REO business is about networking and the connections that you have because your application, and since everything's done on the internet or by a computer, your name is only as good as your name, but it, once they meet you, I think it, it brings you to a different level when they're trying to get into a bank. Let's break that down. You first said you did a lot of BPOs. I've heard before that there are BPO mills. There are places that just do BPOs, and it's never going to lead to a, an actual REO assignment. Were you working those type of BPOs, or did you somehow figure out how to work a BPO where it would turn into an REO, or were you just doing BPOs to get the experience? I think all of the above. I think we did free BPOs when we were starting. I think we did paid BPOs. I remember weekends, we would just, the whole day was taking pictures and doing BPOs for the whole weekend. That's all we did until, you know, they finally gave us an assignment. How did you get your very first assignment? Was it from the BPOs? I believe it was from, from a BPO. And it was in my neighborhood. So I actually, you know, really knew the market. I knew who was building. You know, I knew the stats because it was, you know, a couple streets down. So I knew what that house was, who the builder was, what the difference are within the builders in the neighborhood that I live in. If you can recall, it was a couple of years ago, but let's try to again break that down. If somebody were trying to do it today, you, you were doing all these BPOs. You got called in to do a BPO in your neighborhood. How did it go from BPO to assignment? You turn in your BPO, they get it, they say they've accepted it, and then I think it was two or three days later that they said, congratulations, you have a listing. And I, I believe it was ResNet at the time. It was, a, it was a portal. And you got an email that says you have an assignment and you need to do an occupancy check within 24 hours. Wow, so I, I imagine that surprised you. Yes. <laughs> we did the happy dance. This was on ResNet. You were already signed up with them, and you did the BPO and got the assignment, and you really didn't have to promote yourself to them to get that actual assignment. It kind of just happened. Is that true? That is true. How did you parlay that first assignment into the next one? Well, I got more assignments from that bank, and then I kept great relationships with that asset manager, and that asset manager moved to another bank. And that's how I got accepted to the second bank. And those files were transferred to another asset manager. So I started to build a relationship with the new asset manager. So we can get a big picture of your REO business. Is most of your REO business coming from private individual banks? Or is it coming from the government agencies of Fannie, Freddie, and HUD? It's a mixture of both. These original assignments, were they from private banks? Private. And do you currently work then with all three government agencies, Fannie, Freddie, and HUD? No, we only work with Fannie. When did you pick up the Fannie account? How long had you been selling REOs before you were able to pick up the Fannie account? I believe it was 
later that year, 2010. That all happened in 2010. <laughs> Were you picking up Fannie assignments one at a time, or did you actually have a Fannie Direct account where you go direct to Fannie? We had Fannie Outsourcers, and we also picked up Fannie Direct in 2010. How long did it take between the time you applied to go with Fannie to the time you actually got the first assignment? I believe it was three months from the time we applied to the time we got the new assignment. Do you have any advice to anybody who was trying to pick up a Fannie account of what they should do during that process? I didn't exactly know that the person I met worked for Fannie. So I think looking back now, it probably worked to my benefit because most of the conferences or most of the agents that see Fannie Mae asset managers, you know, hound them or try to look for them. And so when I was with a group of people, I didn't realize that that person had worked for Fannie Mae. I didn't even realize it until until I got the phone call. So it was a normal conversation. You know, we were all golfing, nothing, you know, nothing like, can I get any assignments? It was all just relationship. So you just kind of bumped into it. You were at a conference, you were you were with a group, you said in a golf foursome, and you started chatting, and you didn't realize at the time that that was somebody who was influential. I didn't know when we were golfing, and I didn't, I didn't know until after I got the phone call that I needed to apply. You talked about conferences being a great way to get into the business and how you did it. So which conferences did you go to? I went to Rio Mac. I went to every REO conference that you could think of, Five Star, and then some small REO networking groups. So anything that would come across my desk or my email, I would look at it and go, I got to fly out there tomorrow or I got to fly out there next week and meet the people. When you say you went out there to meet them, did you go out there with your resume and just try to hand it to everybody that you saw? How did you approach it? No, I just wanted to meet people. I didn't really have anything prepared. I was more of the, I'll just email you later. I don't want you to bring, I don't want to give you garbage for your flight home. So it was a matter of meeting the right people, meeting other agents that you could network with, and you know, talk about the accounts that they were working or who was giving them assignments. At these conferences, was it more that you were meeting other agents that were already connected, or were you actually trying to find or connect with asset managers? I think it's both. I think in the beginning, it's like you wanted to find asset managers, and as you learned how the REO business worked, you wanted to find other agents because they had private events or they wanted you to come to their private event that they were hosting for their clients that they were already working with. And so it comes down to the networking. It does. Connecting with these folks. What's your secret to being a great networker? I think be yourself. I think if you can be yourself in a relaxed environment when and not always talk about business, I think people remember you when they feel that and or they see that you're a genuine person or you want to help or you really care about who they are as a person. And I think even my asset managers today that we work with, you know, to go out there and visit them, if they know that you care and it's, it, besides these emails and these assets, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, you've mentioned that a few times, a client visit. What does that mean? We like to see some of our clients that we work with occasionally. We'll take them out to lunch, you know, and get them out of the office and just to let them know that how much our team appreciates working with them. 
are these people all in Phoenix, Arizona? No. Most of our clients are out of state. So you fly out to their city and meet them at their office? Yes. And we have to get permission first. Who do you need to get permission from? First, we would have to get permission from the asset manager, and sometimes you have to get permission from the REO sales manager. Was it difficult to get that permission? I think if you have a good relationship with your asset manager, it's not. But there are some asset companies that don't allow agents to come into their building. So for some some of those clients, we would have to meet them, like I said, at lunch or after hours, after they got off, and see if we could take them out to dinner. How many accounts do you currently have? Five. Do you try to meet all five of those accounts throughout the year? Yes. How often do you try to meet them? I try to visit them at least once a quarter. Wow, so you're taking 20 trips a year? Yeah, most of them will be at conference, so you'll see all of them at once. So that's a combination of meeting them at a conference and meeting them in their city. Mm-hmm. What's your goal during those meetings? Is it more of a on a personal nature, like how are the kids doing, or are you trying to talk business and explain your market? What's happening during these client visits? I think it depends on your client. Some of them want to know what's going on in Arizona. Some of them want to talk about your transactions that you've got going on, and some of them just want to ask you, "How are the boys doing? You know, how are they doing? What, where are you guys going for vacation? How are you guys going to stay away from the, the heat?" So I think it just depends on the relationship that you have with your clients. How many assignments are you getting? Let's say each month. We typically get about two to three a week right now. And how does that compare to last year? We would probably get five, sometimes even six in a day. So that's a a pretty dramatic change. (laughs) When people get into REO, they often forget that there is an expense associated with it. Did you find that there is an expense associated with each of these assets? There is. You're paying for sometimes the repairs, or you're paying for cash for keys or relocation assistance. And... I've learned early on that you have to have a good bookkeeper or accountant. Do you have the same bookkeeper you started with? I do not. So you learned the hard way. I did learn the hard way. That was probably the biggest mistake I did. What was the mistake so others won't make it? Hire the right bookkeeper or accountant to make sure that you do not lose any money. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. What was the problem? Was the person that you hired not detailed enough? Or what occurred? I don't think they were not detailed enough. I just don't think that they were very organized, which cost us, you know, over $20,000 and a, an account. So how did you go about finding the second one? Referrals. I had to ask in, in our marketplace who's the best accountant or bookkeeper that you have. I asked other REO agents, how are you guys doing your accounting? And there was a few people, even in my conferences, because she deals with people out of state, that had pointed out to this accountant. So I asked her what portal she was familiar with 
what she knew about REOs and the accounting side of the REOs. And she knew pretty much every single bank, every single portal, what the difference were between the different line items such as a 571 or a 1093. So she was already a bookkeeper in the REO industry. She was. That was lucky. Yeah. So back to this idea of you having to put up some money for each of these assets. If you had to estimate, if you had to tell somebody just coming into the REO side how much they should put aside for each asset, how much would you tell them? I think it's different today because a lot of it is outsourced. And I think um, right now if you had maybe 1000 to 2000 per asset just for a cushion, I think you'd be safe. You said it's different than it was before. Was it a larger number before? I think so because you had to pay for cash for keys. And in our market, it was $2,090 for an average cash for keys. And sometimes you would have, you know, I think our most that we had in one week was 17 cash for keys. So you take 17 times, you know, 2,090. That's a couple dollars. <laughs> yeah. How did you pull that off? Were you using credit cards, savings, uh, line of credit? I was not. I actually used every SIM savings set in our business savings. How long does it take the banks to reimburse you when you put those monies out? I would say 30 to 60 days. I think back then we had some banks that were reimbursing us like within six months. But I think the process has gotten a lot faster today. So you're making much shorter loans to the bank now than you used to. <laughs> yes. You said earlier that you lost 20000 with a bad bookkeeper. Was that because they weren't getting the reimbursements in quick enough? Correct. Like I said, they were just not organized. They weren't getting them fast enough, and there was duplicates of bills, so it really cost us a lot. How did you find out that it was a bad bookkeeper? What happened? We got a phone call from our client saying, who is doing your bookkeeping, Raquel? And I said, what is the issue? What's the problem? And how long has this been going on? So at that point, you went in and started auditing the books and found out it was worse than you thought? Right. Have you put anything in place so that that doesn't happen again? Do you have an outside accountant look at the books, or do you all audit the books every so often? I do. How often are you doing that? I do it at least once a month. How long have you had the new bookkeeper? I've had her since the beginning of 2011. So almost a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So it's working out. It is. In order to accomplish this large feat of closing 253 transactions last year, did you do that all by yourself? All those closings were by myself and staff. No other agents. So there was no other agent to help with the negotiation, but you did have some staff. Who was the staff? How many people did you have helping you? I had an offer coordinator and cash for keys coordinator. So that was one, a repair coordinator, that's two, and then the escrow coordinator, three, and then I had a field person and a bookkeeper, so five people. Walk through each of those positions and describe what the position does. Also, how you compensate them. Are they on salary? Are they receiving a bonus? That kind of thing. Okay. So the offer coordinator, cash for keys coordinator, and is really my right-hand person. She manages all the offers. She manages all the cash for keys. She pretty much oversees the staff. Um, she's been with me from day one. 
So she understands how each asset manager works. She understands all the different clients that we deal with. And she is on a salary plus bonus. And then I've got a repair coordinator and pre-marketer. And they're responsible for coordinating contractor bids, making sure that we stay on top of our contractors so all the repairs are done in a timely manner. And then we've got an escrow coordinator who handles pretty much from the time it becomes it goes into contract to the time it closes. And then our field manager basically does our weekly inspections, does everything outside of the office. And then our bookkeeper obviously turns in all our bills and tries to get all our reimbursements for us. And are all those people on a salary? My repair coordinator and escrow coordinator are on hourly, and my field person is on a salary. And my bookkeeper, she is an independent contractor. She works for other agents. She charges a flat fee for the service. Correct. Are all these people full-time? They are. Are they licensed? They are not licensed. How did you find these people? Well, my first one was Jenny, and Jenny came to me because her mother was my receptionist when I was the team leader for the office. So her mother actually referred me to her. And then the second one came in as a referral from our buyer's agent, and then the third one came as a referral from another agent. So most of them were, like I said, now looking back, all of them were, right now, the team that I have, they were all by referrals. So you like to generate your business and your staff by referral and networking? Yes. We've done a Craigslist way, and it has not worked to our advantage. If you had to start from zero tomorrow, who would you hire first? What position? I would just hire a general assistant, and then as you gain more volume, I would get that more specific into different roles. But I would just hire an assistant to leverage yourself. Currently, you have one other person, right? You have a buyer agent? I do. How do you manage these people? Well, we do a weekly meetings. We have monthly goals. And every day, every day they send me an update as to what they accomplished for the day and what they had going on and what issues they've got going on. Are you all in the same office space? We are. And sometimes I work from home. So we are all communicate by IM, which is Instant Messenger. What is your position with the team, your obligations or responsibilities? I'm the team leader of the team, and my responsibility for the team is to grow the business, to make sure that we, to lead generate, to make sure that we've got listing inventory out in the marketplace. Do you use any kind of special software or systems to make this run smoothly? We do. We use REOHQ which tracks all of our properties, all of our expenses, um, all of our notes, and then we also use Dropbox for all of our files. Did you try any other technology? How did you pick REOHQ? Just research, and at the time, they were the most, the most cost-effective one for our business. Is that a product that you put on a central server, or is it in the cloud and everybody can dial into it? Yeah, it is in the cloud and everyone can dial into it. Is there any other technology that you use in your company? iPads. The team purchased iPads for everyone? 
our field rep has an iPad and our buyer's agent has an iPad and I do as well. So when we're out on the field we can write contracts or if we need to email contracts um, it's, or we need to take pictures of certain things, we can. I assume you've created systems to make this all run smoothly. How did you do that? We broke down the process of what each client wanted and we try to put them in different departments and then we figured out where the loopholes were and how we can get our grade back up because all of your clients grade you on a report card. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't have any delays by writing each step out and then letting each person know that this is your responsibility for the team, this is what you are going to be responsible for, and these are all your duties. Is that written down somewhere on paper, or how does everybody know what they have to do? It is. It's in a manual. It's in a policy and guidelines manual. Do you cross-train your people in case you have absence? We do. And I think that's really important, especially when you do have somebody that calls in sick, and it's an important person that is handling you know, all the escrows for that given you know, time. How did you make sure that they were cross-trained? Did you take a one day a month or one day a week and make them sit next to one another? How did you make that happen? I think it happened by accident. You find out that somebody's not going to show up to work, and then you go, oh, my gosh, what, what's going on? So you find out that I need to cross-train my employees. And so how we did it was Jenny would, Jenny, who did everything, would start training all the other assistants that we would hire on. And as they got more comfortable with their position, they, she would give them certain tasks that were other people's tasks so that we would all be cross-trained. How quickly did you bring in your first assistant, Jenny? Immediately. I think probably after I got maybe like two assignments or three assignments, only because I was managing, I was trying to step down. So I needed to bring somebody in to at least be be at the office and kind of help me out with paperwork. She was there from the beginning, so she's almost as good as you. She's the real Raquel. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we joke. You said you've done all these BPOs. What's the secret to doing the BPO correctly? I think really understanding your market and being as detailed as you can because sometimes you can only get one shot from that bank and then they will test you with that BPO. So I think it's knowing your market, knowing the stats and being very detailed and showing when you look at your BPO, you can actually see that this agent put a lot of work and effort to this BPO versus they were just trying to get this done in the time that we gave them and so that they can get paid or they can try to get an assignment. How long would each BPO take you? For me, it takes five to ten minutes. And the reason is I pull up comps, I send it to one of my assistants, they do all the data entry, and they pretty much know that market because we have several properties in that neighborhood. So they know the stats. We're either in contract with a lot of the properties in that neighborhood. So they know what my BPOs look like, and I just pretty much review them. So you do a preliminary, you have someone help you assemble it, then you do a quick review. So you don't personally have a lot of time in it, but your team does. If you were going to do it all by yourself without a team, how long do you think it would take? I think it would take probably about half an hour to an hour. You have all these people running around last year. You've got a bunch of people on salary. There's going to be some agents out there questioning and wondering, are you profitable? I am. Do you know approximately what your 
profit margin is as a percentage of revenue? I think last year, Shannon said we were probably, with REOs, I think we were probably closer to 40. So your net profit was around 40% of the gross. After everything said was done. Mm-hmm. Do you pay yourself a salary? I do. So does the 40% after your salary or is that part of your salary? That's part of my salary. In this REO market, you jumped in quick. You had a lot of great success fast. How did you educate yourself about this REO market? Classes, lots and lots of classes, lots of webinars, being even on different REO networks, going to conferences, other agents in different marketplaces. Everything you can get your hands on in regards to the REO space, I pretty much did every certification that was out there, I did. You just dove into it. I mean, that's exactly what I did when I first got into real estate, so I felt like it was nothing different. I'm going to read a quote that you sent me. You said, I get very focused once I know what I want my end result to look like. How do you do that? Do you do some kind of visualization of your end result? What's that process look like if somebody were going to try to do that? I pretty much set a goal. I find out like how I would feel once that goal is achieved and what it would look like, where, what my actual business would look like, and then I just go for it. And I go and go and go until, you know, as if I can't fail. So I don't hold back whatsoever. You're very driven. I want to go through that process. When you say you, you look at it, do you mean you're looking at numbers on a piece of paper or something you've written in words? Are you picturing something in your mind? What exactly is occurring? So if we're talking about business, I usually have a visual board, how many transactions. I have a written business plan of how many transactions I want to accomplish, how much money I want to make, how much time I want to take off. So all of that is written in how I'm going to get there, and then I just go for it. So you write out the big goal, you have it in front of you, and then you also have your game plan there as well, how you're going to break it down into little pieces. Right. Does that mean things like you're going to have six assignments this month or this week? Is that What kind of detail does it get down into? When I was building my REO business, it was, I want to get a new account. I want to meet, you know, get one new account every single month. You know, and so for a while we were getting new accounts, and then, and then it was, how do I get more business from them? So I would write out a plan as to, you know, who are the people that are sending out assignments at these, with these clients. How often do you look at that board? Every day. Is it in your office or your home? Where, where is it located? It is on my wall in my office, and I say affirmation. Do you look at that to start your day? Absolutely. How many times do you think you look at it during the day? A couple times a day. I always glance at it. Even reading between emails, I'll just look at it. I mean, it's just, it's right there. You can't miss it. Do you also have a component of it that shows that you're achieving your goal, like a thermometer or something like that, where you would show the the goal and then you kind of fill in spaces to get up to it? or, Or is it just the final result? At the end of the month, I do a monthly wrap-up with the team and where we're at with our goals, where they're at with their goals. And so it kind of tells us where we're at in the first quarter, what we need to do for the next month, and how we have to adjust to make sure we hit our end goal. Do you use any kind of visual pictures 
Do you cut out pictures out of a magazine and post them up like of a car or a house or a vacation? I have a visual board and really it's my family. And it's on my, my computer, on my desktop. It's more for general motivation. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to understand how you channel this driven energy that you have. I think I'm very driven and competitive. I've been like that for as, you know, for as long as I can remember. And I don't know if it's from playing sports or if it's someone said something and I just said, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. Because I think in my questionnaire I said the worst thing you can tell me is no. When I first got to Arizona, a lot of the people had said, there's no way you can build this market center. There's no way we're shifting. People are losing their houses. Agents are losing their homes. They're getting divorces. We've got agents getting their cars repossessed in our parking lot. There's no way you can turn around in this market center. And we did. You know, and I think that, like I said, the worst thing you can tell me is no, and, I'll, I'm, and I'm going to do it. I, I guess I'm just stubborn that way. I'm thinking of a couple quick things here. First of all, you said that both your parents come from large families. Did you come from a large family? No, I only have two brothers. Older or younger? One older, one younger. Do you think that you were competitive with your brothers? Absolutely, because I was the only girl. So I wanted to do everything that the boys wanted to do. How about the sports? What kind of sports did you compete in? I played sports all year round. So I played volleyball, basketball, and I ran track. Did that through high school? Did you do that in college too? I did not do that in college because I worked in college, but still today I still run at least three races a year. When you got into the REO business, did you make any mistakes? Absolutely. Are there any that you could share with people so they could avoid making those mistakes? One of the mistakes that we did was we said we had a property that was so far out and we said that we went to the property and did the occupancy check, turned it in, but really we were going to go out the next day and found out that the asset manager knew that we didn't go to that property. So that's one thing is that, you know, you learn as you go and as you learn, you know, your business, what you can do and what you can't do. We had so many assignments, and we were just trying to get to all of them, and we wanted to make sure that all our tasks were done. But to that asset manager, it was more important that we actually did it than getting it done in time. Did you end up losing that account? We didn't. Um, They definitely worked with us. You were able to salvage it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other lessons that you could teach somebody who's thinking about getting into REO? Don't get discouraged. There is REO in every marketplace. There's a some in others. It's never too late. You just got to find out where most of the REOs are going. And don't focus so much on your energy with banks that are really not giving REO or don't have any assets in your state. It's great to meet them because you never know if they will in the future. But some people, you know, get caught up in, oh, I met some asset manager, but at the end of the day, they don't have assignments here, so they really can't help you out. And how did you narrow that down? Did you just ask directly as soon as you met them where most of their assignments are? Yes. And you ask other agents as well, even ones out of state, where do they have assignments at? You know, do they have any in Arizona? Does this credit union have any in Arizona? And you start asking around, and then you start figuring out, and even on your MLS boards, they'll show, you know, who the bank is. You mentioned that you're trying to reposition yourself into the short sale market. How are you doing that? Okay, so with short sales, we are 
we are looking at 30 and 60 day leads. Um, we're looking at bank specific. We're narrowing it down to one loan. And we're looking at how many, in certain neighborhoods, how many people we can help. Have they gone through a loan modification yet? If they haven't, what are their plans for the future to get their finances back in track? So you're getting a database. How are you putting together the database of the people that meet the criteria you just listed? Title company. A title company. So they're looking in the public record. Well, how would they know if there was a 30 to 60 day late? I think some title companies have that connection. So they're providing us a list. And like I said, I only want to work with these certain lenders for now because I know that their short sale process has pretty much been streamlined or is faster than most short sale banks or most institutions or servicing companies. So we narrowed it down to certain banks. The targets that you're picking, have they received a notice of default of some kind that they've that's somehow in the public record that they've stopped making their payments? They have not. Okay, so this is before that. Mm-hmm. And we just started this. Maybe the title company has some kind of connection with some kind of credit reporting agency to see those lates. Mm-hmm. There must be a connection there. They filter it out for us. Mm-hmm. You're just getting the final result. Your title company is doing that work. Right. Once you get that list, these folks that potentially could be doing a short sale, these people have gotten behind, how are you contacting them? We decided to go with non-owners, people out of state, so that we can shed light as to what our market is doing. So we are just sending out postcards. Wow, that is an interesting choice. I guess it's from your background. So you're you're going out to investors that are out of state that may not realize what's happening in Arizona. They may have just written it off or, or they're mm-hmm. just disgusted. And are most of these properties then vacant? Some of them are rented. Some of them are vacant. But for the most part, I think most of them are rented. There's like some that are in transition is what we found. You're sending out a postcard. What's on that postcard? What are you saying? What's your message? Okay, you're going to have to get back to me on that one. I was not prepared for that one. Because it's all about dialing our 800 number. <laughs> so if they can listen to what's happening about Arizona but it's very specific. Like we understand that you have an investment home and may not be quite the investment that you made or something to that effect. Like, you know, we understand that you bought it because we, all these people have bought in 05, 06. So they're so upside down on their home. So I think it's like something to the effect of upside down on, on your investment. Did you think, did you think that you would have an investment that's upside down or something like, something like that? And you're trying to get them to call 1-800 number, listen to a a recording, an IVR of some type, and at that point it's capturing their phone number, and you're hoping that they'll leave a message so that you can reply to them. Right, or we call them anyways. When you call back, what do you say? Call back, and we say we understand that you you have a home and you just called our 800 number. We wanted to see if you were going through a loan mod. That's always our first question, if they're going through a loan mod. And then we just ask them, you know, what, what are your plans for this home for the future? And then it's, have you thought about selling your home? We never say, have you thought about short selling? Because it's, you know, we never bring up the word short sell. We just ask them what, what their plans are and have they ever thought about selling their home. Are banks open to doing short sales with investors right now, non-owner occupant? Yes. Did you mention you've just started this campaign or have you been doing this a while? No, we just started. When you say that, you mean like in the last couple of weeks, a month? Yeah, in the last two weeks. Oh, last couple of weeks. So we don't have any results yet. 
Not yet. You're going after non-owner occupants. Are you also going after owner occupants, or did you decide to just niche in? We will, but we just wanted to be very specific about our niche and our marketing dollars. You've also are picking up a little bit of business from sphere of influence, investors, and buyers. What are you doing with each of those groups to try to generate leads? Well, I think we're getting referrals from our sphere because we've been here now for a while, and they understand. I mean, a lot of our families are from California, so they can't believe our pricing in Arizona and how much we can rent these homes out for. So they're looking at cap rate, cash flow, and why they should invest here. What do you mean by cap rate? A lot of our family members have purchased homes for fifty to sixty, sometimes even seventy thousand dollars, and have rented them out for eight to nine hundred and even a thousand dollars in a marketplace. So they're getting positive cash flows. Mm-hmm. Lots of positive cash flows. Yeah, I probably can't sell fast enough. But now you can't find those homes. Because <laughs> the market just shifted. The market is totally shifted. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned investors, is that the investors you're talking about, the out-of-state investors coming in kind of like you did way back? Yes. There's a lot of people that want to invest in Arizona. So there have just been referrals from other people saying, you know, we hear that what your market's doing. We know about the prices. Can you please find us some property? And how about the buyers? It's only 10% of your business, but you've got a, a nice supply of buyers coming in. Is that coming in through sign calls or how's that happening? It is coming through sign calls, and that's why we hired a buyer's agent this year because what we were doing last year was we were just giving them away in the office because we were so busy on our listing side and getting that whole system together that we really didn't focus on our buyer side. So this year we made a designated person to just focus on our sign calls. Where did you find your buyer agent? Referral. I assume they're being paid a commission. They're not on a salary. Yeah, and they are on a split. Mm -hmm. Can you disclose what the split is with your buyer agent? It's 50-50. Do you have plans to start up a farm again? You said you had a farm back in California, geographic farming? Yes, I think I would do it in my own neighborhood. I just have to look at some of the data on how fast they are turning around. Um, A lot of them were built in the 0506, so yes, there are a lot of short sales, but there hasn't been a lot of people short selling. A lot of our neighbors have been getting a lot of loan mods um, due to their loan values and price points. Have you been doing any work with internet, social media, any of those kind of things to try to generate business? Yes, we are active on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. We utilize virtual tours and different websites. Raquel, why do you think you've been so successful? I think I'm just a very driven person, and like I said, I won't take no for an answer, and I feel that, you know, something in my childhood early on affected me, and I feel like there's so much opportunities around me. So when I was probably about 10 years old, my parents had shipped myself with my grandparents to the Philippines, and I got to see where my parents grew up, and they grew up in poverty, both parents, and seeing some of my own blood and cousins, you know, in poverty made me realize what kind of opportunity I had in America. And from that day on, I never took that for granted. Wow. At 10 years old, you were able to absorb all that at 10 years old. Yeah. It was definitely an eye-opener. Absolutely. 
So do you think that that's one of the big drivers for you? It was seeing that in the juxtaposition between that and where you are today? Yes, absolutely. I think that, like I said, seeing your cousins not having homes or going to the lakes and washing their clothes and then you constantly asking for toys as a kid when it's birthdays, Christmas, or after school, you realize that, you know, what life is really all about and, you know, what your parents have sacrificed to get here to America so that you can have the life that you have. How did your parents get to America? My father was petitioned by my mother, and my mother had a brother that was in the military. And they're both from the Philippines? We were both from the Philippines, and then so her brother had served, and then my mother, one by one, brought her sisters um, and her brothers and then all of my dad's family to, to the States. The brother in the military, was he in the U.S. military? He was. Wow, that, that was pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the REO business is growing, stagnant, or shrinking? I think in certain markets it is growing, in other markets it's staying flat, and then in other markets it's definitely decreasing. So it just depends on where you're at or where you're located at. And in your market it's been decreasing? Yes. You mentioned that you have a business plan. What are the components of that business plan? There is your big goal, your transactions, your your income, your expenses, your marketing plan, and what you're going to do to basically get those transactions, and then what you're going to do on a, on a daily basis to hit your numbers. Did you just make that up off the cuff, or is that something your company provided? Is something you read in a book? I've always been in coaching, so I've gotten different coaching uh, business plans from whether it was Mike Ferry, Brian Buffini, or even the Keller Williams version of their business plan. Are you currently in a coaching program? I am not, not at the moment. How do you keep control of your time? I think by planning your days ahead, making sure that you have your day scheduled. The day before, I always look at my schedule and see where I can block off time. I do a lot of time blocking, Um, even if it's date night, even if it's time with the kids, even if it's picking up my kids, I time block all of that. How far out do you time block? Do you have like a perfect week or a perfect day, or or is it more like just coming up on it each day and you look maybe forward one day at a time? No, I think it's by the week, and then you'll see some free time. And of course, it doesn't always happen because you have some fires throughout your day, but if you can time block pretty much your week ahead of time, then you can see where most of your time was spent and how much you've accomplished. How many hours do you work in a typical week? I would say probably 45 to 50 hours a week. Are you normally working from your house or from the office? A little bit of both. I try to split my week with some some office days and pack all my appointments in one day, and then I'll work from home so I can have some time with the kids. Do you try to do it by day, or do you do it like morning and afternoon that you're in or out of the office or in and out of home? I do it by the week because there's some classes that I want to attend, especially right now as we're focusing on short sales, or if we'll have office meetings, so I'll try to do it by the week and try to pack everything. If I'm out for that day for a class, then I'll try to move appointments for that day. Where do you see the market going? 
I think we'll continue to see short sales. We'll continue to see traditional sales. And of course, I think there will still be REOs in our market. And I think the sellers that have short sold in the past or had a foreclosure, you're going to start to see them want to purchase again. I'm starting to see some of the people that have short sold in back in 07 purchase homes today. Raquel, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Educate yourself. Be as knowledgeable as you can about your profession and just go and do it. Don't be afraid. Find your niche and grow it. Well, Raquel, you give sage advice. You inherited your drive for a better life from your parents. Your passion for results shows in your numbers and your team name. Your ability to spot trends, anticipate markets, and quickly educate yourself has served you well. I am confident you will capitalize on the next market shift. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.